Seinfeld, The Little Kicks is over, but we're just getting started here on the Seinfeld post-show recap. And now here are the two guys who remind you that it is highly illegal to bootleg this podcast. I am Rob Sestrino. Here is Akiva Whitaker. Akiva, how are you? Oh, I was sure you were going to say, here's a couple of bad seeds. Bad seeds. It could have gone with that. Yeah, we've been the bad husbands, uh, the bad podcasters, the bad friends. Yeah. Yeah, we're bad everything. <laughs> bad everything. So here we are, ready to go and talk about a, another fun episode of Seinfeld here from season eight. Yeah, we're rolling in season eight, coming off a classic last week. I feel like this one is uh, really good also. Another good one. Another standout here, of course. Uh, famous, probably most famous for Elaine's dancing. Uh, we've got bootlegging. We've got George is the bad boy. So a lot of stuff going on here in the little kicks. Yeah, of all like the, you know, the Elaine's dancing is super famous of all like the, you know, 15 or 20 or 25 most famous episodes. I do think like this one, you all like if I was just saying to someone on the street, like, oh, we're doing the little kicks this week, I would have to like say, you know, the one where Elaine dances like they didn't nail the the name of this episode. Yeah. What would you have called it? I'd just say like the bad dancer or something like something to identify. I mean, again, they would they didn't know beforehand, like a what was going to be a classic episode and b what was going to be like the, you know the famous part of the episode, mm-hmm. but I would have like, you know, the, the, the little kicks, I know it is mentioned like, uh, you know, in one of the early scenes, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really like, uh, let the viewer know what the, what the, the episode title is. But again, they weren't really keeping in mind, you know, people 25 years later, having <laughs> you know, podcasts and analyzing every little thing about the show. Sure. Keith, anything you want to touch on before we get into talking about this week's episode? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, we did, we did, um, we're recording this a little early, so we, f- we did forget to uh, tell people that maybe we're uh, recording early, so we don't have as many listener feedback, you know, as much listener feedback as we do usually, but uh, if, you know, you still write, anyone who wrote in and maybe they mi- we miss what they're saying at the end of this episode, if it's really good, we'll uh, mention it next week. But it better be really good. Yeah, yeah, I don't, you know, it has to be like we made a mistake or something, otherwise it's, we're on... We're on, we're like Bill Belichick. We're on to Seattle. <laughs> yeah, we're on to what's next week? Uh, the uh, the package. We're on to the package. Wow. All right. So that's what's uh, coming up next week. Of course, if you want to do us a solid this holiday season, you could, of course, leave us feedback on our iTunes page. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. All right. So let's uh, jump into talking about this episode, which was from October 10th, 1996. Written by Spike Ferenstein. Yeah, uh, most famously the Soup Nazi, you know, writer. But uh, he, he, uh, you know, he wrote a few more. You, you never saw Spike Ferenstein's talk show, did you? No. He just got, went on for like 22 minutes every episode about it. he wrote the Soup Nazi. <laughs> Is that what it was? It was the whole premise that. of the talk show. Yeah. Yeah. It never, it was really like, it, its intention was like to take SNL down. I'm not sure how well it did in that regard. Okay. All right. So season eight, again, we've noticed this trend where these episodes start off. We've replaced Jerry's stand up with sort of just a conversation between Jerry and another character just on the street. This week, he's with Kramer and they're talking about the most dangerous side of the street to be walking on. And Kramer tells Jerry that you're walking too close to the curb. You could get hit by a taxi and Jerry says, no, well, you're walking too close to the buildings. You could get hit by an air conditioner. Uh, yeah, this is definitely a real thing. ACs get put in by usually by like building supers. And they tell you not to put in your AC because if it falls, you don't want to be responsible. 
Mm-hmm. Let the super be responsible. I guess the building has insurance or whatever. Yeah. So we did that uh, whenever we put in air conditioners into our apartments when we lived in the city. But my wife is is super into this. Like she, if I'm walking, like she'll probably encourage me to walk under every like every apartment building that has you know ACs hanging out from like twelfth floor windows. But when we have the kids, she will, uh, you know, she'll like really stress like you got to walk you know towards the street because one of these airs is going to fall on someone's head and you know i don't want it to fall on the baby's head even one time like i didn't know she was like she was getting home she was in her car and i didn't know she was watching me i came home and she's like i saw you you were walking like uh, you know uh, basically on the building like under the air conditioners you got to walk by the street i'm like she's she's always watching me do we but have it's a real thing yeah, do we have metrics on this? Like, has 538 done any reporting on how many air conditioners fall out of windows and how many people are hurt a year? Good question. I don't, I, I bet there are. How I many mean, people get killed by air conditioners? And we mean by them falling on people. Well, as opposed to what? Uh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, could you get some bad Freon in there? Yeah, I guess that's true. Here, how many people? I mean, are we counting the ozone? Yeah. Okay, Village Voice. 2011, how often do air conditioners fall out of New York City windows and kill people? It lets you have a prediction on this or you already saw? No, I haven't seen the answer yet. I'm just on the I'm on the thing. I'm going to say I don't think it happens once a year. Do you think it happens more than once a year? Um, I would think it probably happens. Boy, more and more people get central air. But um, uh, I think it probably happens uh, if the over under is one time a year. I'll say the over over one a year. Okay. Uh, okay, the Village Voice article says 2006, they have a Google hit. Uh, only one Google hit, but it's someone injured, but not killed. They, oh. her, right, her right leg was crushed, the bone shattered, she broken ribs, all right, some other bad injuries, but she was expected mm-hmm. to recover. But last year, although this article's from 2011, so that's 2010, um, there's, another, there's another incident where a guy was walking his shih tzu down the street and he got bunked in the head. I feel yeah. like bonked is second floor. If it's like 10th floor, it's not a bonking anymore. No, you didn't get bonked. Uh, it wasn't pushed. No charges against the tenant. Uh, and the awning saved his life. Okay, so that's actually a bonking if it bounces off the awning first a little bit. Yeah. And in Jersey, air conditioner fell 15 stories and, uh, and killed people. There's a New York Times article from 2004. All right. We have not. We found zero confirmed cases of death by air conditioner. Wow. How about that? So look, people are safe with air conditioning. So walk yeah. closer to the building. Yeah. My wife was, you know, for the first time ever, she was wrong. And, and this was, you know, a overprotective uh, safety precaution by her. Yeah. So Kramer says he'd much rather take one to the head like he did back in 79. But then uh, he can't remember what's going on. So a little more fuel to our Kramer CTE theories that we've had in the past. Yeah, this is like concussion number seven. And he's admitting that not only has he had many head injuries, but he doesn't remember 1979, which a lot of people probably don't remember 1979 for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But but, uh, you know, to me, the K-Man is really, uh, you know, it's just we were right when we were we were really on the money with the CT stuff. <laughs> we were ahead of our time. Nobody knew. Nobody knew in 1996. They just called it like they would shake it off. They didn't have independent doctors on the yeah. sideline there for sitcoms. They would call it a stinger, I think. Yeah, they'd say he really got like, uh, you know. First of all, they would like show it that night on like on like jacked up on yes. ESPN, right? Yes. <laughs> and they'd all yell jacked up at the same time. Yeah, nobody knew. Uh, nobody knew. No, you know, things change in just a few years. We're really we can re- be very progressive as uh, as people, as human beings. Yeah. All right. So Jerry and Elaine are at Monks and Elaine is showing off her nail polish, uh, which she says is toxic waste 
Green. She talks about this idea of revolting is being the new attraction. And so, Kiva, how has this idea progressed in the last 20 years? I'm not sure. I don't know anything about fashion, so I'm, I'm like the worst person on earth to ask. Do you have a take on this? No, but I feel like there is something there, you know, doing something that's not good for attention uh, does end up bringing in more attention. Oh, yeah, I think an ugly sweater party type thing. Yeah, ugly sweaters, like just anything on social media, like all attention's good attention, Kardashian stuff. There's definitely something to it, but just strictly fashion, like, I don't know if we've gone like the uglier, the better, but maybe we have. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, George comes in and he hears about this party that Elaine is having for Peterman. Um, are you are you buying the nature of this party? Is just like, hey, uh, let me just throw this huge bash because uh, the staff is doing a good job. Yeah, listen, I, I mean, again, it's not really a holiday party, right? Because yeah. we're just in October. Uh, I think it's not her money. She's like the new boss in town. She wants morale to be high. She wants people to like her. So I actually think it's a good idea for Elaine to do this. All right. So she's having the party, food, appetizers, drinks. George wants to be there. Elaine is not too high on George coming to the party. Is Elaine unnecessarily mean to George in this episode, even before he does anything? I mean, the Elaine George relationship is is probably like the most interesting and unusual of like all the core four, you know, the six core four relationships. But But in this episode, it's just completely insane. And I think it's a little bit interesting to talk about it going through this episode. Like she's so mean to him. But when like when questioned, she says, oh, yeah, he's one of my good friends. Like clearly it's one of it's like her tied for second best friend, basically, Mm -hmm. you know, with Sue Ellen Mishki out of the picture. Like and she kind of hates him. Yeah. No, she was really mean to him, you know, last season over that. She was mad that he was engaged and she wasn't. But then, you know, Susan died. You would think that she would have some sympathy for him. But for some reason, she seems to hate him more than ever. Right. Right. Well, he, he sort of lost the sympathy for many different reasons. Mm-hmm. Why? Already. why? Like, the, like, if he's not sad, then why do you have to be sad for him? Like when he's leaving and, hang, and joking and going to monks with you, the second he finds that she dies, like people will treat you how you sort of project that you want to be treated. Like she sees like, okay, George is already over it. It's been an hour, but she's not going to give him like six months of uh, pity niceness. Yeah, but you would think that since he hasn't done anything new to her, that there would not be all time high tension between the two of them. Yeah, it's a little weird how much she hates him, but I would say maybe something happened off screen, but nothing really ever happens off screen. Before she went to Mexico over the summer. Yeah, like maybe she's upset, like they didn't speak. The relationship is like a little bit, you know, hey, we haven't spoken in a few months. We're not as close as we used to be. Maybe the whole calling Marissa Tomei thing got traced back to her. Oh, yeah. Maybe that would maybe the Marissa Tomei stuff did get back to Elaine. That's very possible. Yeah, that would not be good for that would be really bad for George, actually. (laughs) Anyway, so he wants to get into the party and uh, that he is going to uh, promise to not possibly interfere with anything going on. I mean, that's the exact like, I'm sure, you know, people like, oh, I would not that you work in an office. But like, I would never let them, you know, near my boss. Like, oh, my God, I would, you know, I want to separate. I talked last week about like separating the camp friends and the school friends. Yeah. But this is another level, right? Like your your craziest, most insane friends. You want to keep them far away from work. Ideally. Ideally. So this is like a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's a bad idea to let George anywhere near your office for so many reasons. Okay, so George is there. He's scarfing down all the hors d'oeuvres. He meets Anna, who works at the J. Peterman catalog. She really doesn't want anything to do with him. 
ultimately Elaine is pushed to give a toast uh, by this guy. Does he have a name? This guy? I mean, we've seen him a bunch of times uh, every time we go to Peterman. The well, which one? The, the the toast guy? Yeah, the guy who ultimately like he's giving the pitch later on for then he's uh basically uh describing the Elaine dancing. But uh this guy he was uh pitching in the Urban Sombrero episode that he shows up whenever they're at Peterman's. He looks a tiny bit like Lin Manuel Miranda, right? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, definitely. Do they they, they call him Dugan? I, I don't know Dugan. if we hear his name in this episode, but they call him Dugan. Okay, so Elaine gives a toast. She says, "Here's to us uh, who wish us well, and those who don't can go to hell." What do you think of that toast, Keith? I like it. A lot of haters when you work at like a, a fashion catalog. Yeah, so anyone who doesn't haters. wish them well can go to hell. Yeah. All right. Come on. Who wants to dance? And so Elaine gets out there and starts dancing. Uh, what's the music here? Earth, Wind and Fire. Oh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm, I don't know. Like 70s music at all. Yeah. I think the song. I think the music cue is uh, Shining Star, I think, is the uh, the song that they dance to here. I'll take your word for it. If it's not by Bieber, I don't know it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the band is uh, the Earth, Wind, and Fire. Anyway, so uh, Elaine is dancing, and we see for the first time the Elaine uh, horrendous dancing, and as George would describe later, a full-body dry heave set to music. I mean, it's shocking how bad she is at dancing. Yes, uh, but... What do you think about the actual execution of the dancing? I think she did a good job. I mean, listen, she has to come across that she's so bad that the people at the party are like stunned by it and lose respect for her. Mm-hmm. So if, if you saw the inside look, Julia goes into like she was actually nervous doing the scene because usually they're laughing with you. But here they were laughing at her like she has to be so bad at dancing, but also has to like look like she thinks she's good. She, you know, she can't break while she's dancing. So I think she does a really good job. Yeah, she does a good job. I don't know how much better you could have choreographed. Like, just dance like you suck. I don't know how much uh, direction they gave her. Mm-hmm. I think if she got bad dancing lessons, but I think she gets an A plus here. <laughs> yeah, I could have been on the set to uh, be her bad dancing coach. But she says that what she tried to do, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, was just try to sell it with uh, looking confident in the face, but then having everything else be bad. Yeah, and I think she also says um, they had music playing, but she couldn't dance that badly to music. She would like follow the beat too much. So mm-hmm. she had, they, they had to cut the music and then add it again in post. So we get the first instance of the great quote from this episode. George says, sweet, fancy Moses. Yeah. You ever drop that one? A sweet, fancy Moses? I'm sure I did sometime uh, in the late 90s. All right. I think you I think you're bringing it back this week. I want to hear it on a podcast. I'm bringing it back. Well, Sweet Fancy Moses is great. And there's another one that is that that in the same category of Sweet Sassy Molassi, which is a really uh, deep pull of I believe it was from uh, Ray Romano hosting SNL. And he was like a sports center anchor with like uh, so I think somebody was pretending to be Stuart Scott. And on the every highlight clip, Ray Romano would say sweet, sassy, molassy. And that was the catchphrase that he was trying to make happen. Yeah. Um, sweet, sassy, molassy as time has been kinder to it than sweet, uh, fancy Moses. I've I've heard sweet, sassy, molassy hundreds of times in my life. Uh, sweet, fancy Moses only from Seinfeld. Yeah. Uh, but I do feel like that there's a lot of stuff here, especially like these last couple of seasons. I think that they have a catchphrase and they really try to make it happen in the episode. It would be like if we were like trying to make, you know, how like podcasts or or shows now they're very into like T-shirts, like you have a good joke. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that's a T-shirt. Put it on a T-shirt. Like Comedy Bang Bang does this a lot. Somebody says something funny and they're selling it like the next day. Yes. So I think, uh, you know, that's a little bit like what Seinfeld's doing here. Not with T-shirts, but which, by the way, would have been a good idea. Like them selling T-shirts at the height of Seinfeld. That would have been like its own like zillion dollar business. <laughs> right. I'm like, if it was a popular show now, like that's what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. Like everything, you know, there aren't really any popular sitcoms. It's yeah, hard but that, to I mean, that's the hashtag. That's the equivalent of the uh, the hashtag is the, you know, the, the T-shirt. Yeah, but you don't make money directly. Like the T-shirt is direct money in your pocket, whereas the hashtag is just directing traffic to your website or your whatever. Yeah, once you make the hashtag happen, then you can get the T-shirt. All right, so we, that's our goal right now. We got to make a T-shirt. Right? We have to say something T-shirt worthy this episode. Mm, okay, well. We're, we're on the T-shirt hunt. We'll be hard pressed for that. <laughs> All right, so. Jerry's apartment. We see Kramer coming in. He's got the tickets for Death Blow. Death Blow is happening. Uh, yeah. Who knew that? Like, you need like Death Blow. Like, needs special sneak previews. That the tickets are so hard to come by. I think that at Death Blow, Jerry says, "Hey, all of show business is here at Death Blow." Yeah, it must be like the big action movie of the month or something. Yeah, and so they need another ticket for Death Blow for Kramer's friend Brody. By the way, who do you think is starring in Death Blow? If it's such a Hollywood blockbuster. Oh, boy. And I, I, mean, know, I know the answer. I know the answer. In 2016 or in 1996? 1996. It's an obvious answer. Who is it? Nick Cage? Okay, so Cage is my number two, but I think he was just so busy in 96. I'm not sure if he finds... Can you imagine like a Con Air face-off death blow trio? That's almost too much to top. Too much to top in 96. Why? Who do I you think it's a, I think it's a good guess, but I have Bruce Willis starring in death blow. Bruce Willis? Yeah, I could see it. He'd be a good uh, for death blow. Right before Armageddon. We have free army get in death blow. Yeah. <laughs> so one think- for me, one for you. This is the one for me, death blow. <laughs> okay. So we have the introduction of the idea of Brody, Kramer's friend. And Brody, I feel like, is going to be a polarizing character. Uh, polarizing to the audience or like to the people on the screen? To our discussion. Okay. You don't like Brody. I have very strong feelings. I really am out on Brody. Okay. Yeah. I think that Brody, with a couple tweaks, could have been an absolute grand slam. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of Brody. I think in hindsight and even or not even hindsight, if we could sort of like rewind ourselves back to 1996, it's a little bit too much of a stereotype of like a wise guy, right? Yes. Like pulling out the gun is insane. Pulling out the gun is where you lose me with Brody, because I have said this a couple times before when guns have come up on Seinfeld, that that the uh, the idea of Seinfeld as a show about nothing is out the window when you introduce mm. a character that says, hey, do this because I have a gun. That everything yeah. on Seinfeld should be people being motivated by their own negative traits, whether it's a lack of a backbone or selfishness or greed or whatever. But everybody should be acting, you know, not in a case of, I, I'm going to kill you if you don't do this. But what if we could, you know, transport ourselves back 20 years and this was more common? You meet up with a shady guy. He's probably not going to shoot you, but he might show you his gun. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I hear it saying out. If you're out on guns, man, you must have hated family matters because <laughs> like Urkel would get into some situation. Then there would be a guy with a gun like every week. <laughs> and then Carl, Carl Winslow would have to save the day. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's a little bit of a of a different uh, show where I think they're going for, 
you know, some sort of like a cheap thrills on family matters with like a little bit of an action sequence with right. Carl. Winslow. And also you're right. You're worrying about reality where in that show there's time travel and <laughs> Steve and Steve can become Stefan by stepping in a time machine. But we can talk more about Brody as we get to the scenes with him at the movie theater. But um, oh, I thought you were going to say we're talking more about Urkel. And Urkel, sure. Down the road. Anyway, so George comes up and he went to Elaine's party. He wants to know, did you ever see Elaine dance? Uh, yeah, I like I like the fact that he's like gets this knowing look like, oh, no. I forgot all about that, but that's a disaster. Yes. And Jerry has seen Elaine dance. He said it was about five years ago. And we have a flashback. I do love this, that we flashback to a season three era, Jerry and Elaine. Yeah. I almost wish they had said eight years ago. Like, it's weird to flashback. When did this happen? You know, Mm -hmm. like what? Why didn't we see it? This seems interesting. Why was there not an episode about this? Yeah. Why wasn't this a season three episode of Seinfeld? It's a good point. Yeah, was this a deleted scene? Maybe that must be what it is. It could be a deleted scene. Uh, and if so, for which episode? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Can we go back and see the wardrobe for, you know, what they were wearing at a certain point? So here's Elaine and she sees some guys on the street and she's dancing. Uh, they do a great job with selling season three, Elaine. Also, Jerry is, uh, you know, not necessarily anything different in terms of his hair, but, you know, his shirt does seem a little bit off in terms of what he's wearing in 1996. Yeah. And also, I didn't check Elaine's hair. Right. But I, but obviously they had to really yes. play with her hair because it's still different. Yes. They do a full season three Elaine hair, man. I, I just say eight years. Don't don't mess with our heads. We're, we're too crazy about this stuff, guys. Yeah. All right. uh, George is also uh, driving around in his father's car. His dad has a 68 GTO. Uh, Doesn't mean anything to you, right, Keith? No. And I don't know. Like, I don't know why it's necessary to say that he has his dad's car, but whatever. Yeah. Well, I think that what they're going for is later on in the episode with the bad boy. It's supposed to be like some sort of like high school type setup and I think right i guess needed- his dad stuff is in the car so i, I retract my statement it right does, it does play into and that's funny but they needed him to have like some sort of like uh you know you know a uh, a car that a bad boy might have right okay that's fair okay all right so uh we see elaine uh she is back at jay peterman and the staff has just lost respect for her uh, that behind her back everybody is just like goofing off and she suspects this has to have been because George came to the party. This has to be George related. He's like a virus. Yeah, it's a good guess, honestly. It's a good guess. She's saying all this to Jerry on the phone. Uh, Jerry doesn't have the heart to tell her that it's because of the dancing. And he ends up sort of like uh, clicking his water bottle and saying it was a call waiting. Wouldn't that be great if that still worked, Keeve? Oh, yeah. I wish it still worked. I think yeah. Jerry here, um, I think Jerry's doing a good job. What a, what a friend he is by not throwing, you know, Elaine under the bus and embarrassing her and getting himself in trouble with George. Yeah, you know, for sure. He's both ways here. He's, he's doing the right thing. Doing a great job. He gets the fishy so far. And so anyway, here comes Anna and uh, she wants to know what's going on. Did you have fun at the party? She says, yeah, it was a real kick. And uh, did you talk to my friend George? And she had the brief interaction. She said, stay away from him. He is a bad seed. Yeah, I think like, does this really work in real life? Like women are just attracted to bad boys. I think it works sometimes, Keeve. So should we do that? Should we go out like, you know, you get a wingman and you're you're like the wingman for your single friend Mm -hmm. and you go to a bar and you're like, just just so you should know, like this guy is wild. He's out of control. Right. Let me just say, first off, um, even though I have been referred to on many occasions as the bad boy of podcasting, 
mm-hmm. that uh, there I don't want to be guilty of generalizing that what works with one woman works with all women and what works with one man does not work with all men. So I was just uh, get that out of the way. But I do believe that, you know, uh, sometimes the moths are attracted to the flame, Keeve. Mm. Yeah, I know that joke from uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Norm MacDonald. You know that Norm MacDonald joke, the moth joke? No. It's a great joke. You, after after uh, we finish the podcast, go up and look at Norm MacDonald. He tells the best joke I've ever heard in my life on Conan about a moth. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, he's a va- bad seed, one of the worst seeds. And Elaine said, I thought you were friends. She says, yeah, good friends. Yeah, and it's funny because it's sincere. It's like, yeah, I think he's a terrible person. And this is maybe like another sign. Like they even know themselves. Like I'm Jerry. And I know Elaine and George are terrible people. Kramer's not necessarily a terrible person. He's just different. Like, and, so, and you know, and, and the same thing with, like, George and Elaine. Like, I know they're terrible. I just don't know that I'm terrible. But, like, there's a little bit more self-awareness here. Yeah. You know, they say that the best reflection of you is the five people that you spend the most amount of time with. Okay. And who are, who are the five people you spend the most amount of time with? Nobody. Really? I mean, I spend a lot of time by myself, Keith. Right. Okay. So yourself, your reflection of yourself. We're in like the matrix or something now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I guess I'm a reflection of my wife and these uh, two kids. That's why I'm such a baby. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so stay away from George. And so uh, the wheels are turning now for Anna. It is like a good piece of advice, to be fair. Like, even if you like George, um, telling someone to what's it called to like stay away from George relationship wise, I think is great advice. I once had, I once knew a person and I really hated the person they were dating, but I felt like I was like, I wasn't really close enough to say it myself. Like it would have been one of those things where like someone else would have had to say, it. you know what I mean? I'm like the person's like ninth closest friend or 12th closest friend. We're like, it needs to be somebody in the, in like the, on the Mount Rushmore in the top four or something. Mm-hmm. I never said anything and they got married. I, I but I remember when it was happening. I are they still married? Said, I think so. I think they're still married. I lost touch with the person, and I, I I said this once, like to my dad, and he said, "You know, it ha- that happened to me also, where he told he had a, a female, uh, like he knew a, f- a female friend, but he wasn't super close with her, and he told her best friend, like the guy she's dating will ruin his life, will ruin her life. He's the worst person I've ever met. Okay, if you like, if I were you, like I'm not super close with her. It's not my place. She won't listen to me. She'll just think I'm a crazy person." If I were you, I would jump in front of a bus before I let, uh, you know, uh, this lady marry this insane person. And I don't know if she said anything or not, but they still got married. Listen, love. Well, a lot of times they won't listen. Right. If you, if so, you know, I'm sure 20 people warned my wife not to marry me. She didn't listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were all right. But I so I said, and what happened? He said, well, he's now a cult leader. And basically, my dad was dead on. Like, they got divorced pretty quickly. He's on like wife three or four. He leads a cult like everything. You know, as bad case scenario as possible. So I don't know if I, I was probably wrong. I'm sure the couple's like very happy, but my dad was right about the uh, about the person. But at George, I think if your friend, if you had a female friend, imagine the world and they were dating George. I feel like you sort of have to tell them like he's bad news. No, I would think so. I think that that's probably uh, easy to spot. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the truth. Listen, but love, sometimes love blinds people, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, the heart wants what the heart wants. Wheels. That's right. Yeah. Uh, listen, everyone, everyone, uh, there's someone for everybody. <laughs> so if going back to the soulmate conversation. Well, yeah, there's not. Yeah, there's at least someone. Some people like if you're good, there's like a million people for you. And if you're like a bad person, maybe there's, there's got to be person. somebody out there. Right. Yeah. I'm listen. There's like there's like 
dudes who are on death row who like get married. Yeah, absolutely. Those guys are picking up more ladies than we could. Well, but again, they're the bad boy. That's true. I mean, being on death row, that's the ultimate bad boy. Oh, you're right. Yeah, we got to we got to start murdering people. You're right. I mean, and really, once you're on death row, you know, it's really like, uh, you know, I think you throw the whole timetable of, okay, it's this is this is what you do on a second date. This is what you do on a third date. I think it's sort of like, hey, you know, uh, time is is short. Right. And also, it's not you were talking uh, last week or a couple weeks ago about like how you told your wife, you know, it's only for this eternity. Mm-hmm. It's only for this lifetime. It's not for eternity. And one, it's like, OK, I know, like I literally like I could go to, you know, his case file. I know he's got like 11 years left. This guy before he gets executed. And two, if I'm going to heaven, I know I'm not going to see him there. Right. You know, there's no there's no worry about eternity because he's probably I mean, if he is on death row, there's a good chance he's going to hell. You would think so, unless he's innocent. Yeah, or he's like a vegan or something. Sometimes they let them in. <laughs> they let them in? That's what it is? Yeah, that's okay. what I heard. So back at the movie theater, uh, here comes, you know, Brody to sit down with Jerry and Kramer. Brody has a big bag of candy, and, uh, you know, he's uh, very much uh, self-conscious about his uh, giant bag of candy. He says, hey, it's for all of us. It's not just for me. It looks like a terrible bag of candy. Yeah, it's, it's almost like brought from home. It's like... Uh it's you know there's like popcorn in like a ziploc bag it's just gross it's pretty gross and so he ends up getting out a camera has a camcorder in his jacket and jerry is very concerned about this what is he doing kramer says don't worry about it he does it all the time i I like that kramer didn't mention like it's funny because kramer's not really self-aware enough to like not mention this he probably just forgot Mm -hmm. he's not like crafty enough to be like oh if i had told you jerry you wouldn't have invited him you know, he would have told him had he thought about it. Yeah. Um, and Jerry's very upset. He tells Kramer, we, I, I need to talk to you outside in the lobby. Keith, I realized I had skipped a scene of Jerry and George at Monk's trying to figure out why Anna was calling up George on the phone. Right. That and, he's a bad seed. Yeah. I, I really like the joke at the end of that scene where like, uh, you know, he's a bad this. He's a bad everything. And then like he leaves a bad tip and he says bad tipper as he leaves. Yeah. Um, but very good on Jerry and George to be able to figure out so quickly what's going on here. And, I, you know, I find it very believable that they're able to figure it out based on the evidence that they have. Uh, it's just really well done. Where it's like, well, why would she be calling me that obviously uh, she had wanted nothing to do with me? And Jerry knows that Elaine is blaming him for stuff like, oh, it must have been Elaine. She must have said something. It's crazy that a bigger deal isn't made out of the fact that Elaine said he's a bad seed not to date him. Like, even though George is happy it worked out for him, he should be furious with Elaine at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, this could be the plot of a whole nother episode that, like, he's not talking to Elaine because she, like, convinced an attractive lady not to date him. No, but she actually got an attractive woman to date him, so he's happy. I know, I know, but, like, in t- her intent was, you know, we can't be results-oriented, Rob. No, well, I think you can be results-oriented. It's sort of like, you know, that... It was that she was intending to hurt him, but ultimately he ends up uh, having good things happen to him. I think all he cares about is the results. So you're saying everyone who won played the best game. No, I'm just telling you (laughs) that, George, it's almost like, uh, you know, somebody was look, somebody tried to do something bad to him and ultimately it ended up working out good for him. So he's just happy something good happened to him. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, he's not going to overthink this. Yeah, not like us. Right. All right. So Elaine is back at Peterman. She's looking for Anna. She can't find her. 
and uh, that we end up finding out that she went to go meet George. Yeah, this guy is a Lin Manuel Miranda here. He's like a mag- he's a magical parrot guy. We we're talking about how like the the lost answers and how they always said fans just want the magical parrot to like explain things. Obviously, it's on a much lo- lower level, but there's a few things in this episode that are just like the only way they know that is like somebody singing them the answer. Even the the, the first scene after like the intro is just set up like George inviting himself to the party. There's no reason for that scene. It's not funny. We just need a reason why George is at the party. Mm-hmm. right yeah so like it's a lot of like uh which i like I, other than because w- we would be two dorks sitting here for a half hour saying there is no way that george would ever be at that party with the Elaine, in elaine's work why would she mm-hmm. there you know mm-hmm. so i like that they did that but it is funny it's a lot of like a lot of this episode is like showing us the reasoning for like why which we always ask for and now i find that it's not funny so we should stop asking for <laughs> yeah it. what do we know we don't know anything we don't know anything so she's going to go and uh, track down Anna. She's upset. George is in the blood. He's in the bloodstream. Yeah. Once you get George in there, basically uh, the whole system shuts down. Yeah. In trouble. All right. So Jerry and Kramer are in the lobby. What are we doing? Uh, and Kramer says, look, that this is a perfectly legitimate business. Jerry says, no, it's it's not legitimate. <laughs> and Kramer says, well, it's a business. Uh, Keeve, have you ever watched a, a bootlegged movie? Yes. One. Yes, what'd you watch? Well, I bought one. I'm sure I've seen other ones. Team America World Police. How was that? Well, I, I remember I, I was looking for, I was going to go see it. My I, my wife was sick or something where she didn't want to go. So I said, I'm not going to go to the movies myself. And on the way home from work, I happened to like magically, there used to be so many of them. This is probably, what year did that movie come out? 2006 or something? And I like stumbled past this guy. I'm like, well, if I see one of those guys, I'm going to buy Team America. And I like, on this way to the subway, I found him. I'm like... Hey, is this good? And I meant like, is it a good uh, bootleg? You know, did like Jerry yeah. do it or did Kramer do it? And he's like, oh yeah, it's good. It's an epic, an epic classic. I still remember what he said to me. Yeah, it was wow. An, it was an, it was it was a movie reviewer. He told me it was an epic classic. Yeah. So I watched it. Um, I feel like I had a different experience watching that movie from everyone else because it was so fuzzy. Because mm-hmm. it's a weird movie. Like if you're watching people, then it's just people and they're like through a, a video camera. But Team America is like a weird because what is it? It's like animated, but it's people. You know what I mean? It's like puppets, right? Like I should, it's puppets. So yeah. it, lo- it looked like insane. <laughs> so I should really like watch at least a few minutes of that movie because I have no idea what it looks like still. <laughs> what about you? Have you ever seen one of those? I'm trying to think. I, I, I'm sure I must have. I think at one point, Nicole like bought a bunch of things that were like uh, like somebody that like, came to her work and was like selling them like uh, she bought like like five for ten dollars or something like that um but i feel like that the quality just wasn't good i i think it was like probably more of a thing you know uh you know, you, you have like these nice, like bigger, like TVs, and then you're watching something that looks really crappy on them. It sort of like defeats the purpose. Like you'd rather watch something else that's not as good that as opposed to something that's sort of like if it's a good movie, you sort of want to see it as it's right. intended. Right. But think about how few entertainment options there were in 1996. Like now it would be crazy right. to watch. It would have to be like, oh, I'm so desperate to watch this movie, but it's not playing near me or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not going to come out on iTunes or Netflix right. or whatever for months. Like now it would be insane to do that unless like your daughter was in the movie or something. Right. You'd rather watch like the dumbest thing on Netflix and have it be in high quality than like a bootleg of like some, and I, maybe the bootlegs have come a long way. Maybe people are like. Uh, no, they, they really haven't because so like, uh, you know, I've seen movies like, oh, that's a new movie. And I get all excited. Like, I can't believe that's already out. That's only been in theaters. Just testing it. Obviously, I would never watch it. It's illegal. Uh, we get all our, our DVDs. It's illegal from, to you, watch it? 
I don't know. I just yeah. we get all our DVDs from the Podcasters Guild, so that's yes, what I watch it. That's for. right. Uh, I was watching like I was excited. I forget what movie I was. I was excited to watch it last year, like one of these Oscar bait movies. And it's and immediately I'm like, oh, what's wrong with this? And it's uh, it's like a camcorder. It's it. They have not improved at all. <laughs> yeah, they don't have somebody there with like Google Glass that's like staying still. I mean, maybe it was more still actually, but the picture, like what you know, it it doesn't transport the picture well. And I think. It's it's there's probably less of a demand Nobody for can get it a now. tripod in these movie theaters. Yeah. I, the thing is, you need the people at the top to be in on it. Right. Mm-hmm. If you have like a friend who works in the theater, it doesn't mind, you know, risking going to jail for five, like making this little video. That's what you need. You need the theater to like not be because if I have like, a, you know, my friend is the manager of the theater and I'm doing this. Like, what's what's the worst thing to happen? The guy next to me is going to tell on me nothing's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to call 911. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Who do you call? I mean, uh, I wouldn't say anything. I don't I don't snitch. <laughs> right. Right. OK, so we go back to Anna and George and uh, they're at the park. S- totally bizarre setup here where George has Frank's uh, GTO. He has it in the park, like parked on the grass. And then he's like leaning up against it. Did you find that bizarre, Keeve? Uh, why that he's just like looking like a cool guy? What's bizarre about it? I mean, he's not in a parking lot. He is like parked on the grass somewhere. Oh yeah, this is like Central Park. Where's he getting his car? Like to the middle of this thoroughfare? It doesn't yeah, make like, sense, right? Like where is he? But he's a bad boy. He does things like that. Drives in a no driving zone. <laughs> I guess so. And he has like his car, like uh, just sitting there, like in the middle of the park. And uh, Elaine like pulls up in a taxi and uh, figures out exactly where they are. And uh, she ends up pulling Anna right away. I like like the cartoon taxi screeching tires as if like the cab driver's like, my friend is on a di- my employees on a date with my friend and he's a bad seed. So get get to it. Speed it up. You know, Buster, I'll give you a big tip. Yeah. And like, right. you know what I mean? And like, why is this cab driver also driving an illegal spot? Potentially mm-hmm. like screeching tires fast. Yeah. Anytime you ask a cab driver to go fast, they end up going slower. Yeah. Get in their head. Um, and we start the runner of the um, Frank Costanza uh, paraphernalia in the car. Is that your orthopedic back pillow? Um, and uh, she's like, well, is it or isn't it? Uh, and he's like, well, I guess not. I don't know why he's being like so sheepish about like trying to admit that the back pillow is his. I know. Well, because he wants to be a bad boy and he can't say it's my dad's car because a bad boy wouldn't have his dad's car. He, I don't need, can a bad boy say he drives his dad around? I feel like no. How about I stole this car? Yeah, I stole it. Or like I, I, it was my dad's car, but I put him in a nursing home so I could have it. Yeah, <laughs> all good. good. All acceptable. See, because we are bad boys. That's easy for us to come up with these things. That's right. And so Anna gets pulled away and she's like waving to George and, and George tells Elaine, lighten up. Now, is there an HR at Jade Peterman catalog? Mm, I'm not sure. Why? Because this, I feel like, is excessive you know, sort of, uh, you know, intervention from Elaine for this boyfriend. Like, I'm not sure if you're if like the boss is supposed to decide who their employees date and like leave work to like bring them back to the office in the middle. I think of the they day. could do that in 96. I think that was OK. There was no HR in 96. No, HR is like, that was is, is like a oh, it's yeah. for millennials. HR. I think need so. all of it. <laughs> so we go back to the uh, movie theater and Brody is sick. He ate too much candy. And he needs Kramer to take him home. Yeah. First of all, if Brody, if you're so tough that you're pulling guns on people, if you're the bad boy of, you know, uh, illegal movie bootlegging, a cramp is a pretty lame excuse. Yeah. So they tell Jerry, finish shooting the movie. And Jerry's like, are you nuts? There's no way I'm doing that. 
And he ends up with uh, like revealing that he has a gun and uh, Kramer's like, all right, everybody relax. Jerry, just take the camera. Uh, And Jerry's like, "Okay, all right, I'm taking the camera. And then they leave and Jerry starts filming the movie. Now, Keith, I just feel like that going back to this point that to me, it's uh, lazy writing to just like I need a character to do this. The character says, I don't want to do that. And we have the first character go back to like, do it because I have a gun. So I thought you were going to ask this today. I was thinking about it because it is true that there's almost nothing short of a gun that would get Jerry to videotape this movie. Mm hmm. Like, there's no stakes for, like, why he should do it if his life isn't being threatened. So if you said he flashed a knife or if he Jerry thought he flashed a gun and that became a thing, like, I thought it was a gun, but really it was nothing, like it was another bowl of candy or something, that's fine. Do you know what I mean? I just don't know if if you're reverse engineering this and you need Jerry to make, you know, bootleg the video for you. I don't know how you'd get him to do it realistically without the gun. Can you beat him being have, have a flash a gun on and still... Get him to videotape this movie. What's your idea? Well, I think that probably you want to change the Brody character. Like, uh, what are other motivations that would make Jerry potentially want to bootleg the movie? I mean, so what she's if, an attractive woman. You're right. saying that's that's one. You that uh, is there some reason where that he felt like that he would be able to uh, date this person if. Uh, that he was uh, potentially, you know, to bootleg the movie in, in a good way. I mean, is there, could you tap into the stuff where Jerry's artistic integrity is, is questioned where, you know, uh, sort of like, would he, would he do it that somebody thought, you know, insulted him and says uh, that he couldn't do it in some way or that he'd be bad at it. Is there some way to make him do it where he wants to to do it out of spite to somebody you know, I, I think there are other ways you could have potentially gotten Jerry to do it or even just to have be be menacing, but not necessarily go to the degree of do it. I have a gun. I hear what you're saying. I, and you don't think knife is a happy compromise. Uh, I think it's the same thing for me. OK. You know, I, I feel like that the, the whole thing about Seinfeld, the whole show is about like, you know, uh, social situations and not having to deal with, you know, things that are unpleasant, the little minutia of things. And then the point where people are pulling guns on each other to make you bootleg a movie, I feel like is uh, probably not the right tone of the show. It's a minor right. thing, not a big deal. Yeah. It doesn't ruin mm. the episode for me, but I just wish that we could have had some way to get Jerry to start bootlegging the movie without pulling a gun on him in the movie theater. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. What if he said, like, you don't, like if he's not the bad guy, he said, like, you don't understand. My boss will literally kill me if I don't have this to him by five o'clock. Oh, I like, like that. I like that a lot like more. My, I, you know, my, my boss, uh, you know, he's a mob guy like Jimmy the Tooth. He will actually physically like he's going to shoot me. Something ba- he's going to break my legs if I'm not back at five o'clock. And then Jerry feels bad. Right. Right. Uh, I ate all this candy and I feel bad. Now, if I don't, I don't have this movie, my boss is going to like, uh, please do me a favor, buddy. You got to you got to help me out. So, you know, I like that a lot more. All right. Fine. So when we rewrite Seinfeld, <laughs> that's what we're going to do. Jimmy the Tooth. Jimmy the Tooth. And, I guess, and is he a dentist? Is that why he'll be so disappointed in me because I ate all the candy? No, I think all his victims, he takes out one of their teeth as a trophy. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, that's dark. That got dark. Okay, so we go back to Jerry and Kramer at Jerry's apartment and they're talking about the uh, the final death blow. And Jerry is talking about Brody and Kramer's like, boy, he's quite a character, right? (laughs) 
Uh, and it turns out that Brody showed up at three o'clock in the morning because he needed to get the tape. I mean, that's not so surprising. I think, you know, Brody's coming back for his tape as fast yeah, as, soon as possible. I mean, what time was it that he got sick? He's back in like four hours on his feet. I mean, he was sick to his stomach at what? Eight o'clock, nine o'clock. Yeah. And by three, yeah. I mean, he's at Jerry's apartment. L- listen, he's got there's these, there's a time crunch. You really need these things like the week it comes out. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of value, like death blow in a few weeks. It's going to be, you know, back then, like there was probably a good business for the next year because the first, where did movies go first after the, after first run theaters, they would go to Blockbuster. A lot of times that would be like six, eight, nine months. Mm-hmm. Maybe not quite that long, but yeah. No, some of them were. Some of them were definitely, there were movies that were close to a year. Like sometimes like really big movies were, would, it would take like 10 months before they, before they'd make it there. Right. And so uh, Brody is buzzing up. Kramer's like, come right up. <laughs> no, no issues with, uh, you know, getting Brody back up there. And Brody is coming up and he wants to tell Jerry, uh, thank you. This was fantastic. He was enchanted by Jerry's work. Uh, yeah, listen, I, I never thought about it, that there's really like artists. But uh, Jerry is I, I would think the main sort of skill is just a steady hand, right? Like not getting cramps. Yeah. Yeah, but Jerry, he was zooming. He knew who to move in on. And so he wants Jerry to take on Cry Cry again. He was going to give it to one of his other guys, but it's an artsy movie. And frankly, they don't have the sensibility. One of the things that did bother me about this, though, is how far into Death Blow were we when Jerry took over? I want to say the middle. The middle. They talk about this the whole rest of the episode. Oh, are you the guy that shot Death Blow? I mean, the first half of it was shot by Brody. And at the point where he's getting sick, like that camera is being passed around, is barely pointing at the screen. Uh, Even if Jerry did a fantastic job, the final 45 minutes, say final hour, if the first half hour is not good, I can't imagine that people would be talking about Death Blow as the greatest bootleg ever. I agree. Like there's like if the first half hour of this podcast was bad, if, even if the last hour and a half are great, what I don't do think mean we if? could salvage it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we could salvage it. Right. I don't know how long we're into this one. Right. But, but um, it. yeah, no, I, I, it's a good point. There's yeah. no way. It, so let's let's revise. It had to be like 12 minutes in. Right. Like maybe there was 100 coming attractions and he ate all the candy. And I, I don't know what they were able to do. But well, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that they video camera videotape like the coming attractions. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't put him on the beginning of it. I don't think maybe I'm wrong. Right. And so uh, maybe you could say that uh, Jerry had a like a feel for it and stayed for another showing. Is that possible? No way, right? No, I don't think he went to a second showing. That's too much. No. Okay. He needed to have his ego stroked before he realized he had an eye for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So Brody's beeper goes off and he has to go and get uh, use Kramer's phone, which is under Kramer's couch. And uh, that uh, Jerry... <laughs> Uh, he's talking with Kramer and Kramer's like, Hey, look at you. You got another gig. Uh, and Jerry's like, I don't want another gig. Uh, and Kramer says, uh, Jerry, this is not your little comedy act. We're talking feature films. (laughs) That's a good joke. (laughs) All right. Uh, so Brody comes out with a baseball bat, uh, Negan like, uh, with the baseball bat. He wants to borrow the bat. Little, little stereotypical here. Yeah, he does not need a glove. All right. So going back to Elaine's office, uh, Lynn Manuel is uh, pitching Elaine on a new thing for the catalog, uh, describing the fl- limbs flailing, arms akimbo, feet kicking up dust. Uh, everybody's laughing. And here comes Anna in a Yankee jacket. Yeah, I mean, Anna, 
you know, keep I, I she's really she's the bad girl of the office now. She's just pushing in her boss's face. Right. Right. Uh, and Elaine says, uh, boy, that jacket looks a little big for you. Something a short, stocky, slow witted bald man might wear. And she says he's not stocky. Yeah, I like that. He's yeah. definitely, you know. I would argue he's not slow-witted. He's, he's definitely stocky. <laughs> right. Uh, and a paper airplane flies across the room. And Elaine is also now like the substitute teacher. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, hitting your boss with a paper airplane. That's that's insane. Yeah. I mean, are you buying the degree to which Elaine has uh, lost the team? Uh, is, is it a Todd Bowles-esque uh, complete loss in the locker room? Well, is it Todd Bowles-esque or Jeff Fisher-esque? I feel like that's <laughs> the lower level. Jeff which Fisher. one? Which is worse? I mean, Bowles recovered like he at least won a game. So I'll say it's Bowles-esque. Okay, Todd Bowles-esque. So it's bad, but it's maybe not irreparable. Or at least you'll convince yourself it's not irreparable. Okay. So uh, we go back to Kramer now bootlegging cry, cry again. And he's like, not even like pointing the camera at the screen. Yeah, listen, I, I, you know how bad I would be at bootlegging? How bad? I mean, it's so hard. It's like you're holding, you have to stay in a position for like an hour and a half, two hours. You can't eat your food, your candy. You can't like laugh at the jokes. You can't even really pay attention to the movie. I do think it would be easier now because I think that you don't have to necessarily hold the uh, your eye up to the camera that I feel like the viewfinder, I think, is a bit of a game changer. Yeah. Uh, what about like, do people just do these things on their iPhones now? I would think you probably could. I don't know how the I mean, you're not busted in like, do they don't even have these like giant video cameras anymore, right? Yeah, I think people are probably like shooting this on their on their phones and stuff. Mm hmm. Not that I know, but I think you would probably if you I mean, if you really were going to do it, I think you'd probably bring in like a small video camera instead of your phone. But I'm sure I in guess. the history of bootlegging, somebody has bootlegged a movie shooting it on their phone. So if someone's on the street in New York and they see one, of the, I don't even know if these guys are still around, but like see the guy like, hey, is this an iPhone bootleg or is this like a video camera bootleg? I only do video cameras. I don't mess with the iPhone bootlegs. Yeah, I don't know how much storage is on your phone if you could shoot like an hour and a half movie. That's true. And yeah, like, I, I don't know if you're like, uh, if your phone is just going to stop recording that after, you know, 10 minutes. Yeah, that's a good point. It might not work. Yeah. I have a lot of battery also. A lot of battery. Maybe could you bring a charger in? Like a Mophie or whatever. <laughs> All right. So uh, Jerry is looking at what Kramer shot. Jerry can't believe it. It's terrible. Do you even know what this scene is about, Kramer? Uh, he's not buying a loaf of bread. He's buying back a loaf of his soul. Did you like this part, Keith? I didn't hate it. Yeah, I mean, the idea that Jerry cares so much he's going to like willingly do the illegal activity is strange, but okay. It's like it's happened before in the history of the world. Like, you know, it's like you go on like a hit with Tony Soprano and like, oh, I didn't like the way that guy got killed. Next time I'm doing the shooting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, I just felt it was just like, a you know, kind of on the nose with everything. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes here that are on the nose. Yeah. All right. Jerry actually then explains why he ends up uh, wanting to do the bootlegs himself. He says it's for the kids. He was on 96th Street today. There was a kid. He couldn't have been more than 10 years old. And he asked the vendor if he had any other bootlegs that looked as good as Death Blow. Yeah, I mean, really, this is like the craziest form of celebrity that's ever happened. Mm -hmm. Right. Jerry has been on The Tonight Show multiple times, but... He wants to be the guy who makes the movies that look as good as Deathblow. Um, I, I feel like nobody ever has an opinion on this, but I, I like that. Like, he's so good. He's made it in art form. Yeah. All right. So here comes Elaine and uh, she's very upset with herself. Why did she let George come to this party? They were having so much fun. They were having food. They were dancing. And she starts to dance. 
And uh, a little old school Kramer here where he basically like uh, calls out the thing and says the thing that nobody else wants to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. We haven't seen much of this since about season three. Right. Right. Another season three flashback. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Are we in like an alternate timeline here? Did this whole episode happen in season three? It, perhaps. And so uh, Kramer wants to know, what's that? Elaine tells him it's dancing. And he says, uh, that ain't dancing, Sally. Yeah. I, and I also like the idea that Kramer might not know her name, just like she didn't, he didn't know Susan's name. <laughs> oh, you look like a Sally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She says, no, that's uh, that's uh, I'm fine at dancing. And he says, no, you stink. You stink. Yes. Uh, and Elaine is saying, no, I'm a good dancer. And Jerry is trying to get away. And finally, he snaps. All right, fine. You're beyond stink. Yeah, I, I, this scene, you know, right like this part of the scene right after this, where Elaine like sees the video camera. It's different from what we normally do. Like normally, we'd see Elaine do the dance on the camera. Mm-hmm. No, where they're like hiding the reveal for reveal. later. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. All right. So Jerry needs to get out of here, and he has to put stuff in the laundry, uh, and he doesn't want her uh, dancing in his house. Please, not in my home. Yeah, it would taint the home, like George in the office. Yeah. All right, so Elaine ends up uh, calling up George to say she wants to apologize, and uh, it was not her. It was not his fault that people were making fun of her at J. Peterman. Is she doing this on purpose? No, I don't think so. I think she's trying to okay. be nice. And uh, George is like, uh, "Pick up the phone, Elaine. Pick up the phone." Yeah, can't do the speakerphone conversation. Yes, and so. Uh, he's like, no, Elaine, stop it. Just stop. Don't do this. And uh, she's saying, uh, George, why? I don't know why you're being so difficult. He's trying to get her to keep doing it. But Anna is completely has cooled. She's lost interest. Uh, what a lunatic this Anna must be. Oh, she's she's crazy. But what's even crazier is like she's semi lost interest, but she still hangs out with George again after this. Yes, she does. Uh, I mean, uh, what was her upbringing like? Oh, I don't even. I, I feel like I'm going to get in big trouble if I start. Okay. Yeah. Well, are we heading into the Lycus zone to explore? This? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a take yet, but anything I come up with will, will not be good. I'm sure. OK. Um, I, Like what, what kind of what kind of girl likes the bad boys? Maybe her like her parents were nerds. Yeah. And she's just like rebelling, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I think it's pr- usually stems from dad issues. Mm-hmm. But and you want the bad boy. But what if your dad is a bad boy? You want sometimes people go the opposite. Also, they go the bizarro way. <sighs> Yeah, I guess so. You know, uh, humans are uh, very tricky uh, creatures. As someone wrote in and they said like they were, I forget what it was. They said they were very familiar with the bizarro universes. I think it's uh, a Jim. Yeah. The physics correspondent. He, he said, uh, you know, we were a little off or at least I was off on the bizarre thing. It's not the exact opposite of you. It's a twisted reflection of you. Oh. Which I think makes sense. Like okay. we knew it's not totally the opposite, but I think that's like a, a okay. So it's not like uh you know, like the the bizarro Akiva would have like a great head of hair. He just might have like different, I don't know, quirks or whatever. Um, but anyway, for Anna's parents, I'm not so sure. Maybe that's like a, a spinoff to Seinfeld. What are, <laughs> what are Anna, Anna's parents like? Okay, it's a very dark spinoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like the uh, uh, you know, the farm that Newman showed up at. Yeah, what if like what I'm trying to think like who in the history of the show could have been Anna's parents, and maybe we don't know, like the mom and pop store people, uh, p- perhaps. Perhaps. I mean, they were had to be somebody's mom and pop, right? What if they were like her parents are really old? She had old parents. Sure. And so like, so like, I don't know. It's just like kind of boring at home. So now she's letting off steam. Yeah. All right. So Jerry and Kramer, uh, they're meeting up with Brody and uh, Jerry does not want to be bossed around by Brody. 
The work suffers. There's a lot of like inside Hollywood type jokes here, but I, I think it's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, and so Kramer is like adopted the role of being sort of like the intermediary. And finally, Jerry just storms. off. I'm off the project. Yeah, He wanted three cameras and headsets and he was he was just scouting the location this time. Right. Uh, so back at the diner, uh, George is talking about how he is back to being, uh, the good boy. He's not the bad boy anymore. Jerry is only talking about bootlegging. I do like these Seinfeld scenes where you have two characters who are not even communicating with each other at all. They're both just talking about their own thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've been in conversations like this. Yes. Often I am. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, most of them that I have Mm -hmm. are exactly like this. Anyway. So, um, Jerry does not want to do this anymore. It's illegal to be bootlegging the movie. Uh, and George hears about it and he decides that he wants to be a bootlegger. It's a, it's a good idea. I, I really like this turn by George here. Yeah, it's very fun. All right. So we go from the diner and we see George uh, in the car with Anna to tell her I'm a bootlegger. He's bootlegging a movie. Yeah, I like the I like this idea. I feel like when I was a kid, this was the idea of like, ooh, that's like a job that like, you know, that's a really cool job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's the ultimate bad boy again. And Anna asks, is this your fiber con? And he just throws it out the window. Get out of my way. <laughs> he really, after like the third time, he really should have just cleaned out the car of any of, uh, you know, at least put it into his house. Yeah. You know, a little weird that Frank Costanza just drives around with fiber con uh, in the car. I mean, he's Frank Costanza. There's nothing that would, he, he could do that would surprise me. <laughs> nothing weird about Frank Costanza. Okay. So uh, Kramer comes in to tell Jerry, uh, George has been arrested. Yeah. Aren't you surprised like that the punishment is not like years of jail time for bootlegging? Yeah, I kind of feel like it is. Like, I don't think it's they make you just pay a fine. Like maybe he didn't get, maybe like they caught him with the camera coming into this. Like, I don't know why. I don't know, like, uh, what stage, but maybe he's just crying. So they let him off easy. I'm not sure. Right. Maybe he got like Yankee tickets or something like that. But yeah, it seems like it's a uh, they definitely let him off easy. And so now Brody is coming and they need to give him something quick. Give him the tape that Kramer shot. I don't know why they needed to watch it again. They said, quick, get the tape that Kramer shot. Yeah, play it. And why they needed to play it to ultimately see Elaine dancing, I understand from a plot point, but I don't understand why in the reality of the show they needed to watch the tape again. So I have the same question, and there's only one plausible answer. And that's like, we used to have a million, most people's VHS tapes, unless it was like an actual movie that was an official movie, were unmarked. And you'd have to like write on the white thing on the VHS tape in your marker, right? Mm-hmm. I think they're probably just double checking and making sure like that the, what's in the VCR is the right tape. That's oh, my guess. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that has to be it. That's the only thing that makes sense. Yes. Because um, he used to do that. You would put on a VHS like, hey, I taped, you know, uh, Blossom. Is this is this Blossom or whatever? Yeah. OK, so there was no label on the tape and they see Elaine dancing and, uh, you know, again, a sweet, fancy Moses. Uh, yeah. What are the odds that two people? I mean, I guess they we'd never hear them say it again. I don't think sweet, fancy Moses. Yeah, but right? they might have been saying it, you know, in the days leading up to this. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. Here you go, Brody. One copy of Cry, Cry Again. You know, the story comes apart at the end. Uh, There's a lone dancer who appears to be injured. It's a disturbing image. You see her, uh, you cry, and then you cry again. Uh, Yeah, I think that sounds like a like as if as if this guy, Brody, has like a really, you know, he's really interested in what the movie's about. Right. And they do a good job with tying in the title of Cry, Cry Again. Yeah, no, that's funny. 
Yeah. Uh, so George and Anna are at the police station and George is saying to Anna, you know, uh, or she says to him, like, it'll be OK. And he's like, but yeah, but why did the policeman have to yell at me? Yeah. Not really keeping up the tough guy facade. No. Here. Anna's it, like willing to like, I feel like this would help you if you just don't cry, George. Right. Right. Uh, and Elaine comes in and uh, she has to pick up Anna again, speaking to your point that maybe her parents aren't around. Elaine's her only guardian. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how it works. Right. Like. If if your boss, you know, if you get arrested, your boss has to come get you. That's generally how it works in, in New York. <laughs> right. The only person who's allowed to bail you out is your boss. Yes, that's right. I'm surprised uh, George Steinbrenner didn't have to come and get George. Oh, that would be funny, actually. Yeah. Uh, and then here comes Jerry Stiller to completely steal the scene that he is not in any other part of this episode. He's mentioned a bunch, but here he comes and he is here to bail out George. And, and perhaps... Uh, one of the top three all-time Frank Costanza scenes. Yeah, we're gonna get another one in uh, in two weeks' time in the fatigues. But yeah, this is this is up there for sure. Yeah, and, and it's zero to sixty. Also, it comes out of nowhere. This Elaine Frank fight. Right, he comes in. Where's my boy? He was home reading a periodical, and he gets this call. My son is a bootlegger. Yeah, listen, uh, bootleggers are cool. First yeah. of all, what was the name? Bootlegger was like the wine people in the Prohibition, right? The alcohol. Yes, people. yes. Uh, I don't know how that got copied over into uh, movies, but um, it'd be interesting to know the history of bootlegging movies. Like at what point, like did people used to go in like with like film, like cameras, like su- like super eight type things and like film movies or like did it start with uh, camcorders like in the 80s? Yeah. Who's the first bootlegger also? What I'd was the first movie? That. Yeah. Be good to know. Anyway. So Frank says, my George isn't clever enough to hatch a scam like this. Who put him up to this? Yeah, that's crazy that Frank says that. Frank Frank really thinks George is so dumb. I'm disappointed. Yeah. And so Elaine says, uh, you know, you have it backwards. And uh, we get into like a fight, a fist fight between Frank and Elaine, which escalates from here. What the hell does that mean? It means whatever the hell you want it to mean. And Frank Costanza says to Elaine, are you saying you want a piece of me? And if you haven't seen the inside look on the DVD of this, uh, probably one of the best inside looks that there is. They show a whole blooper reel where Julia Louis-Dreyfus could not, and Jason Alexander could not keep a straight face of multiple times Jerry Stiller saying, you saying you want a piece of me? It's one of the rare times it's like it's worth watching and it's like funnier almost than the actual thing they put in. Yeah, it's so funny that uh, and he's pretty good. He never breaks. But just like looking at him, nobody can keep a straight face. Yeah, it's really funny. Yeah. And this is that, that just that one line of you saying you want a piece of me. Uh, nobody. She can never get it through. Finally, she says, uh, I could drop you like a bag of dirt. Uh, and uh, ultimately, the final line uh, in the episode proper is, uh, you want a piece of me, you got it. And I guess, is that the most famous uh, Jerry Stiller, Frank Costanza line? I mean, what, if you were going to rank them, what is it? Serenity Now. Yeah, Serenity Now probably more famous. Yeah. yeah, everything from the Festivus episode definitely is number one. Yeah, Festivus for the rest of us. Yeah, that's good. Send us in your top five Frank Costanza quote rankings. We'll, we'll talk about it next week. I mean, this can't be lower than three, can it? No, it's good. If Frank was selling T-shirts, this would be on there. <laughs> that would be on there. <laughs> okay. All right. And then we get the tag at the end of the episode. Do you and- do, by the way, do you do that? You want a piece of me on the front of the shirt? You got it on the back or you do the whole thing on the front of the shirt? Uh, I think you do the whole thing on the front. I feel like they used to do the front back thing and now everything's on the front of the shirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There used to be a lot of like 
a lot of like trash talk on the front and the back. And I, you never see that anymore on T-shirts. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. Maybe it'll be explored in the XFL 30 for 30. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, if anybody has any insight into the T-shirt business, let us know. <laughs> okay. All right, so Jerry and Elaine are on the street, and uh, we get that Elaine beat up uh, Frank Costanza, which is really yeah. not talked about again. No, not talked about. They're going to interact again in two weeks. Um, they'll have problems, but different types of problems. Uh, also, like, in a police station, that's the last place you'd want to fight, right? You want right. to beat up an Maybe old man broke in front of the cops? Maybe they just broke it Probably. up. Probably. Probably. Okay. Um, and we see a person selling bootleg uh, movies and uh, that Elaine wants to see uh, Cry Cry again. Uh, that's the bootleg uh, death blow that Jerry shot. Um, and the the guy selling the movies. Thanks, Jerry, for shooting death blow. Yeah. As if any of these guys has ever seen the movie that they saw. <laughs> right. Uh, and Jerry says, you know, it's it's the bootlegs that got small. Uh, he, he was big. Yeah, which is a line from a famous movie I've never seen. Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Sure. Never even heard of it. I've never heard of it. I mean, now I've heard of it. Yeah. Like, Keith, I just, I don't get you, but you put out like every year a whole like Oscar list of your top Oscar movies. But yeah, then, but what year was Sunset Boulevard? I must have skipped the podcast that year in 1963. Uh, it, it was, <laughs> was it 63? I don't know, but it wasn't. It was, was earlier than that. Yeah. It was pre-podcast. Okay. And then Elaine 50, says 1950. 50, yeah. And then Elaine ultimately uh, says she gets the vibe every once in a while that things are not necessarily back to normal. And then everybody on the street starts to do the Elaine dance. Keeve, um, yeah. is there a moment where. No, no the answer is th- no. That is more yeah. absurd in the entire <laughs> run of Seinfeld. Than no. Everybody no, on the cartoony. street. Yeah. We live in a, a world that's exactly the same, except the whole world, like instead of, you know, I guess there's no Seinfeld in the world that Jerry lives in. So they need to fill their time. The most popular show is now off the air, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe there's no Seinfeld. Maybe there's no like Friends or ER or Susan, you know, suddenly Susan Kelly in the city. All those shows are gone. It's like, what does everyone do Thursday nights? They buy bootlegs on the street and they all watch them. So the same way, like if Julie was walking down the street, everyone would recognize her in the real world. Now everyone recognizes her as the dancing lady at the end of a poorly shot movie that probably a lot of people shouldn't have even gotten through, right? Because the, the camera work was so shoddy, uh, but she is so famous. Um, maybe it was like so crazy that like there's no ending and the lady just dances that everyone pranked their friends into being like, hey, go, you know, buy, buy, uh, uh, well, cry, cry again. Right. And like then, then everyone's super mad that they watched this 99 percent of the movie and the lady ruins it by dancing, by like taping over the end by dancing that they like prank their friends. And now everyone's seen it within two days. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't even occur to me that everybody has just seen the bootleg of Cry Cry Again in New York. Oh, uh, oh it should occur to you. That's what happened. I mean, that's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that, I mean, it's not even like that she was in like the bootleg of Star Wars, uh, which I'm right. sure you already have of uh, mm. a Rogue One bootleg. Yeah, I got Rogue Two already. I'm so yeah. far ahead of you guys. No. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, the, the, the story of the rogue one bootleg, uh, that there were a bunch of rebellious bootleggers that had to break into Disney headquarters and steal the rogue one bootleg out from Disney headquarters and escape with it to get it out to the other rebellious teenagers. I don't get it. I know, but um, it makes sense. Is that the plot of Rogue One? Is that a Star Wars joke? Is that a Star Wars joke? 
Or am I just is being that really allowed? Dense? Is that allowed? <laughs> I'll let I'll let one pass. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, there you go, Keep. Uh, that is uh, the little kicks. All right. How about grades? Okay. All right. Um, so I guess why don't we talk about uh, start with Jerry, the bootlegger. I mean, I think the bootlegging is, first of all, it's like a really original sitcom thing to do, right? It was like something that was definitely like not in the public eye per se, but like on the periphery and like something that people would, especially in big cities, uh, sort of dealt with. I think it's really funny. I give Jerry an A here. An A? Uh, uh, I, I guess I, I will go with probably more of a B plus. It has its moments. Uh, you know, I had my issues with the Brody storyline. I don't know if you want to say that's more Jerry or Kramer. Sort of, they sort of share a story here. Okay. I mean, that's a fair argument. So, I mean, if you want to give Kramer a separate grade, I know you don't love Brody, but I still really like this. I give Jerry and Kramer A's here. Jerry and Kramer. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think if I can differentiate anything between Jerry and Kramer. Um, Jerry is a little bit more involved with uh, the Elaine part of the storyline where he's talking with Elaine about the dancing, but Kramer's the one that ultimately blows it. No, I think they're both, uh, you know, uh, in in for a penny, in for a pound. Uh, I'll give both B pluses on this. Okay, fine. Uh, George is the bad boy. I like the idea of George is the bad boy. It's a clear D story here, but I like it. I'll give it an A minus. Yeah. Um, I will say that I give George an A here. I, lo- I love the bad boys part of the storyline. Okay. Yeah, he could have kept it up for a few episodes even. Yeah. Uh, and then what about Elaine and being the boss and dancing and, uh, being the title star of the little kicks? Yeah, I'll give her an A. I mean, some of the stuff in the office is just fine, but you know, it's so, so iconic. First time you see it, it's so funny. Can't really knock it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think you have to go with an A for just how uh, famous this ultimately ends up being. So Keeve, for you, where does this land in the rankings? You want to take a stab at it? Um, boy, uh, I will say uh, I got it maybe at, I'll say 41. That's not terrible. That's not yeah. a terrible guess. It's it's number 30. I have it at 30. number 30. Yeah, hi. Boom. Wow. Two, two uh, top 30 episodes in a row for Keith. Yeah, not the last of the top 30s in uh, season eight also. Okay. All right. So, Keeve, let's dive into our Seinfeld post-show recap mailbag. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com and uh, let's see where, where do you want to start this? I think we usually start with Johnny DeSilvera. Johnny DeSilvera wants to know what do you think are the plots of Death Blow and Cry Cry Again? It's weird because they use the word Death Blow as like almost like a verb or something. You know, it's they keep like who's the Death Blow and where is who's Death Blowing who? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's very strange. Like every, they use Death Blow in almost every context. So the way they're describing it I was thinking it's like a Mortal Kombat type of scenario. Yeah, who's going to get the final death blow? Yeah, sort of like yeah. that's like the fatality in Mortal Kombat. Exactly. That's like what I was sort thinking. Of, sort of like Kung Fu movie and then like give him the death blow. Yeah, and it's starring Bruce Willis. I think like uh, it's Bruce Willis. There's Billy Zane. I'm not sure who else is in it, but um, I mean, if you're doing Kung Fu in the 90s, no Seagal. Hmm. I, I think Seagal might have been out already by 96. He's out the game. But John, you know, we called John Claude Van Damme, but we couldn't work it out with his agent. Yeah, it's right before Jackie Chan. Like a year later, we might have gotten Jackie Chan, but uh, he wasn't an, a known quantity yet. And cry, cry again. It's just so artsy. I don't think I could even come up with a fake uh, plot for cry, cry again. Well, it's got to be. I think it's Streep. It's got to be Streep. Yeah, 
Meryl Streep. Uh, is it and big enough she, for Streep? Oh, yeah. yeah it's, I mean, listen, they're bootlegging it. They don't bootleg movies that aren't big. You know, they don't bootleg everything. I think they bootleg everything. I don't think they bootleg everything. It's got, first of all, it's got to be in the theater. It's got to at least like be released to get. Well, sure. If it's about everything that's in the theater. No, I think it's Streep and she loses like a kid and a parent. So that's the cry cry again. Like she's mourning her loss of her of her like mom and then her kid dies in a car accident. Oh, my God. It's it's a very depressing movie. That's why you cry and then you cry again. Cry again. Okay. Uh, What about Lindsay? Uh, uh, Lindsay said she was dying laughing while listening to last week's podcast about the photo book conversation. Because uh, she was working on her 2016 photo books. That's fine. Yeah. She has one photo book for the year. I feel like for the year. Right. Make, yeah. That makes sense. Make Even the I are getting one at the very least a season. You want it like a fall, spring, winter, summer. You, you want four. You, know, you don't want that. That's I'm just telling you what I'm getting over here. Oh, you're. Oh, you mean your wife is buying one per season. One per season. So we have a spring, summer. Fall. It's like the Jay Peterman catalog over here. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what we're doing, too. I think my wife probably does four a year. Mm-hmm. And then like you have a baby. She probably does like a special baby book. Also, sure. That, like, sure. I mean, we book. might be doing a special Christmas one. We might be doing like, a, yeah. you know, winter season and Christmas. Or we might just do Christmas and then do one for the winter before we get to the spring. I also have to say, I can't remember the last time someone took a picture of me mm-hmm. in this family. Yeah. So I'm going to go look in one of these books for next week. I want to see in the latest book. Am I in it? I want to know, am I in this book? It'll be a lot of pictures of like my wife and the three kids. I, I'm I, like, I'm sure my wife would like try and find one of me for each book. Let me see. I'm going to see for next week if I'm in the, the latest book of, uh, and it probably like depends on how mad she was at me at the time. Purple key. Like, you know, yeah, that there's like one of me and some, but the other ones are like <laughs> have me and maybe one there's like I'm, my face is crossed out in like I'm X'd out. Mm hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, we'll see. Can't wait to see if uh, send us copies. Uh, what does Dan the Benefactor have to say for okay. himself? Uh, Dan the Benefactor writes in, just got it in under the wire. Really, uh, he sent it as we were recording, as if he almost knew that what was going on. That's how, that's how tapped in he is. Well, he doesn't have to spend any time this week uh, researching his survivor pick. So he saved himself some time and he watched the episode in that time. Okay. Uh Dan says, uh, you'd think at a special sneak preview showing full of VIPs, they'd choose a place that wasn't the movie theater equivalent of Thunderdome. Brody is bringing in a giant bag of outside candy, loudly arguing, visibly bootlegging the movie and threatening people at gunpoint. Yet no one seems to care as compared to the security in other movie theaters in town, which busted Kramer in five seconds for bringing in a tiny outside cafe latte. I feel like the organizers made the wrong choice of it. No, they made the right choice of venue. Yeah, this is the death. blow. listen, you see cry, cry again. You want to go to a nice theater. Maybe this is the death blow type of venue. Dan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the fact that all those things happened and nobody said anything makes, uh, you know, that, that just proves their point. This was the right venue. Yeah, you don't want to see death blow when there's like waiter service and everyone's like, you know, basically napping their their seats go back so far. You would want to you see do that? Nap- would you do waiter service in a movie? I think they have it. No. Yeah, I know they do have it. I, I you know, I've, I've been sort of like uh, out of the, uh, the the loop on this, but I went past a movie theater that had that, and I was like, oh, I wonder if I would like that or not. Yeah, I think you should really try it. I actually think that's a fun idea. Yeah, you would like it. I just don't know how good the food would be. Oh, I would love it. I yeah. would absolutely. I would. I would be. I would really be thrilled. Hmm. Okay. There's a movie theater where they have like an all you could eat and then like it's like an hour before the movie, like a candy and ice cream. I don't know what it is. I haven't been to it yet. But like, I, you know, so then I guess you bring in the movie, but it's snacks. It's not like waiter service. You order like a steak. What are you getting there? 
I don't know. And then does the waiter come through like while the movie is on? Well, I'm sure they have like a plan. You know, I'm sure they have like walkways or whatever. Mm. But uh, it seems distracting. Okay. I think you should try it once and report back. All right. We'll see. What about Tom? Uh, yeah, doc- this is Dr. Tom, right? He, uh, he says, uh, in this episode, we see a flashback from five years ago when Jerry first saw Elaine dance. This would have occurred during the timeline of season three, but of course, we only saw it now. How does this affect your theory that nothing interesting happens off camera? Well, you could argue this isn't super interesting. This is literally just them walking down the street. Yeah, I mean, we don't see every second of every day. So that here's something unusual that Jerry learned about Elaine, but sort of just got filed away for later. Yeah, there's a threshold where it's like, it has to be gay interesting for us to have seen it. Also, it would spoil the season eight episode and they showed this in season three. They're playing oh, the fair. long game, Seinfeld. They're playing the long game. They don't want to. They're very conscious and cognizant about like not spoiling later seasons and, you know, keeping all their secrets intact until we need to we need to hear them. OK, Matt in Massachusetts says, uh, how did Anna get George's number? I doubt George had the opportunity to give it to her at the party since she couldn't get away from him. And it doesn't make sense that Elaine would give it to her after she told him to stay away from him. Uh, again, this comes up a lot that we say, how did this person get this person's number? I think in 1996, we just say everybody's in the phone book. I mean, how'd she get his last name? Like, she's, there's no way she's like she's listening when George says his name. But I agree. Phone, the answer is phone book. Unfortunately, not funny, but that's the truth. It's possible that there was some sort of a guest list. Anna potentially is like some sort of a. Um, it, uh, director of first impressions and oh. she might not she might have access to uh, this sort of thing yeah she might be the director of first impressions that's true yeah also Matt wants to know outside of the movie Jerry film could these movies be shot any worse uh, half the time Kramer is laughing and talking to the person next to him Brody is shaking the camera having it pointed down at the floor while he's digging into his feedback yeah I mean and that's in the same one that they talk about that that was the greatest bootleg ever could it be that the bootlegs are so bad Keeve that just yeah. the 40 minutes that Jerry was pointing the camera at the screen that's the that's like a legendary bootleg it's very possible also you free like I, you know, you forget how bad they used to be. Like when people laugh, you hear the people laughing. When you hear, you see like the camera guy moving. Sometimes someone will stand up and go to the bathroom, and they're blocking the screen. Mm-hmm. Like these things happen. So you know, we're get we're, like you're right. They, the standards were so low that anyone who did a half decent job, you know, I guess would become world famous. Yeah. Okay. What about Caleb? All right, Caleb. Uh, he asked if either of us dance as badly as Elaine. I don't. I've never danced before. I wouldn't even know. Yeah. I am a bad dancer, surely, um, but I, I don't think I'm a good dancer. So Elaine, it like dances with like reckless abandon. Nobody has told her she's a bad dancer. So she really goes for it and really puts herself out there like she's a good dancer. I know I'm a bad dancer. I'm not doing a lot. So I think I'm probably not as bad as Elaine. Right. Half the battle is self-awareness. Like, I know I can't dance, so I've never danced in public and I wouldn't because I would just probably get laughed at. Right. It's possible I'm like the next Barishnikov, actually. I, but, I, you know, I'll never know is it, because... Is it, is it possible? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, the sky's the limit. I've never been told I'm a bad dancer, but I've never been told I'm a good dancer because I don't really do a lot of dancing. Yeah. Okay. It's possible, Rob, that my calling in life was to be a dancer, and I'm just sitting here and not dancing. It's not. <laughs> Why are you crushing dreams, Rob? <laughs> I would say my mom told me I could be anything I wanted to be, but she never really said stuff like that. <laughs> she probably didn't. And if she did, I don't think you can. No, I, you know, I didn't hear a lot of like uh, positive affirmations. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I do wonder if somebody had, had taught, like, do people learn how to dance? Like, it, like, is it like instinctual? Uh, like nobody, nobody ever said like, uh, I'm going to teach you like dancing. Like how do people learn to dance? Like, uh, like, like I imagine like some, like a uh, young girls, like go to like dance class, but yeah. like men who can dance, how did they, how did they acquire that? Is it just like, are they instinctual? Like they're just like superior people that they just hear music and they know how to move their body or did they actually learn that trait? They must have gone to ballet or something. It must have been the dudes who went to ballet. Cause like, no, but there's, but, but not, I mean, there's lots of guys that can dance. I mean, there's a lot of men, like every female, uh, you know, dancer on, on dancing with the stars has a male partner. Like I, I, I'll look up this week where these guys started dancing and I'll get but back not to even that. Like, I'm just talking about like, if you go to a party and there's a guy mm-hmm. that can dance at a party sure. or, or a yeah. pl- like the, those, all those people did not go to ballet class. Like, how did they learn that? No, of course. Oh, yeah. Well, you have rhythm. I think it's like you have you well, have like they get that co- from. It's just they have that where they get rhythm. They're born with it. You're born with rhythm like you can't You're born like, being coordinated. I'm you, not it's coordinated. like grace. You either have it or you don't. Can you learn rhythm? You can. It's not like grace because you can have some rhythm. You could be like mildly rhythmic. Could I learn you, rhythm? Could I go to a dance class and mm. and then in the period of, you know, two weeks or four weeks, could I learn how mm. to dance? Or, or you could probably go from incompetent to like not laughable in four weeks. Not laughable. Okay. Is it worth the time though? No. And is this no. ballroom dancing or like crunking at the club? No, I think anybody could ballroom dance. I would like to crunk. Oh, so you're saying you could ballroom dance. This is for like going to clubs. Yeah, I mean, I think I could learn. I feel like I could watch a YouTube video and learn to ballroom dance. Hold on. So do you think like if in like an opposite, let's say like they did like a non-celebrity dancing with the stars, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so then you like dancing with the podcasters. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So you're on it. You think you're not voted out week one? No, I don't think I get voted out week one. Okay. Who do you think voted out week one? Uh, I mean, I don't know who else is on it. Well, Carol's already been on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, I, I feel he like he's an advantage. Like week two, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Something um, like that. Yeah. I don't know who's who's like the worst dancing podcast. I feel like Mark Maron is an early. I mean, boot. most of it, like, there's, I don't think there's a season of Dancing with the Stars that goes by, and Scott St. Pierre can correct me, that they don't have somebody in their 70s on it. Who's like a 70-year-old podcast? I feel like Mark Maron is getting <laughs> getting sent home pretty quickly. Yeah. I don't we'll know. Uh, you know, Bill Simmons, I feel like it's his MO right now to like be canceled pretty quickly. He's probably uh, out of there. Oh, come on. No cheap shots, Keeve. Sorry. Sorry, Billy. Okay. Come, uh, come on the show. You got a lot of free time. Come on the Seinfeld podcast. Okay. What about Travis? Travis, he was wondering whether Rob attributes his bad boy status on Survivor to the re- as the reason he and Nicole started dating. A few blind studs and some snappy confessionals turned her best friend's boring older brother into a hot ticket, at least for a while. Yeah. No, I do. I do attribute it that, to, uh, to that. Like I had some something going on. Yeah. If you were like the if you were boring, if you were like uh, invisible on the show or if you were voted out early, you know, too early on the show for her to really take notice in one of the first few episodes, you think you would not be married right now. Right. Right. So she's literally only with you because you were on TV. Well, I think so that was how she literally got with me. I don't sure. think that's why she's, uh, you know, that, that right. was very fleeting. Sure. And. You know, that I think that should, but it did. I, I think it did uh, open the door. Okay, fair enough. That's all you need, I guess, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but Travis also wants to know not to leave you out, Wheels. I think the listeners just assume that you were the bad boy of the special needs summer camp when you met your wife. I was the bad boy. Yeah. I never did, like, I never went to, like, any activities. I slept late. I was the bad boy. Yeah. I was great. I, I think you still are. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know why you think that, but how am I the bad boy? Uh, I mean, you uh, say that you don't want to, you know, do stuff that your wife uh, want, wants you to do. You know, you don't, yeah. don't want to uh, go anywhere. You don't want to do anything. That's I mean, true. I, That's you're, true. You're rebellious. I am. But I, but I feel like if I was really the bad boy, I wouldn't have gone on that ridiculous camping trip a few weeks ago that I'm yeah. still really upset about. You don't like women with short hair. Oh, uh, see, I, I really I, I regret everything I've ever said. <laughs> see, that's what makes you the bad boy. <laughs> Well, this is like, I don't want this to have a second life. Did you see uh, Sean Falconer's infographic that he made? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was very, it was very impressed. I'm impressed by the infographic, um, but <laughs> I don't listen. I don't know. That uh, Sean tweeted, I made this for you and at Keeve 26 for the next time you want to ruin a dinner party with your hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have all the different hair lengths. Uh, yeah, very which clever. is way too short and then just right and then too long <laughs> I, I like all women with hair with no hair the full head of hair Rapunzel or whoever the one is that mm-hmm. that, uh, that has like the hair goes out and you could slide down on it outside I don't know that yeah. uh, angled I don't know who that is yes and um, then uh, there's uh, in the very fine print Akiva Winokur's hot takes are expressly the opinion of Akiva and not the reflection of the opinion of post show recaps or for that matter any other humans Oh, Sean. I think you offended Sean. Uh, Sean, I hope we can work this out. I hope you have. You might like short hair. I mean, who I, I, I like expressly said, like, don't listen to what an idiot like me says. The bad like, boy. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's lots of women who'd say, like, I wouldn't date a short, fat, balding guy uh, who like who does 120 podcasts a year, uh, <laughs> you know. And never leaves his house. I'm sure, like, that's on a lot more women's checklists than I am. You know what I mean? Than, like, have, I have. There's more women that would have me on, like, the do yeah, not I pass think they list. would say it better than, than how you said it. Well, that's why they would probably, they're more, like, desirable than I am. I think they would say it like, I want somebody right. who's, like, outgoing. Mm-hmm. Like, they would, they would put it in the positive. They wouldn't, they wouldn't spin yeah. it, like, in the negative. Here's what I don't want. I apologize. They Listen, nobody coded language, dog whistles. There, there was nobody out there was like, shoot. Oh, man, I thought Akiva might be into me. And now he's not. Nobody. Nobody thought that. I mm-hmm. OK, they're like, oh, this monster. Good. He's not going to be interested in me. And finally, here's Chester. He says office parties are the absolute worst. Why the hell would George want to attend one for an office he doesn't even work at? Bar and hors d'oeuvres aren't worth that awkwardness. Well, wow, Chester, really? Did he have a bad experience at the holiday party this year? I, I can't imagine he was invited. <laughs> also, why does a random office go T man, AKA Lynn Manuel Miranda know that Anna just left to meet George in the park. And how does the park give Elaine enough information to find exactly where George is? So yeah. Especially when he's parked on the grass. Yeah. The park in Manhattan, right? Oh, that's uh, that's pretty. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, are Anna, maybe Anna and George are friends who like talk at work. This might be a foreign concept here, but like, yeah, I, I, that's probably it. Yeah, but it is kind of crazy. Unless Elaine like has some Anna tracker, it's not like, you know, it's not like Anna can has a cell phone on her. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we didn't mention, but there's a beeper in this episode. Is this? Yeah. I don't know if this is the first Seinfeld beeper, but I hadn't even thought of beepers in a while. But did you have a beeper? No, I never did. Who would My beep dad? Who would beep me? Yeah, I, but also you had to be like of a certain age. Mm-hmm. when beepers were like i remember my dad had a beeper yeah i remember like uh like the uh the really like bad boys and bad girls in high school had beepers sure it was cool that was like you were a drug dealer if you had a beeper yeah there must like have been the, a lot of drug dealers like the kids like, in high school who smoked they they had they had beepers yeah millennials must like really feel bad for us 
Mm-hmm. Like right. literally a beeper was someone essentially texts your phone, which goes off and then you can't send the message back. You just have to like call them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a pay phone around here? I need to call who called my beeper. Yeah. And I remember like, yeah, there was a kid. He was like, maybe he was a drug dealer. I don't know. In high school. He had like a blue beeper paid like 20 bucks a month for it. Plus mm-hmm. you probably had like pay every time you got beeped. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, then Chester finally wants to know uh, that ending. So every person in Manhattan watched the bootleg version of Cry Cry Again and everyone recognizes the lane from it. Yeah, we just said that, Chester. <laughs> okay. All right, Keith. I don't know if we came up with a hashtag or a T-shirt. I know if if we have any T-shirts, right? I'm there, I thought there was a hashtag, but again, keeping my 138 podcast streak alive of not writing down the hashtag. I thought there was one in there, but now mm, I forget. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Maybe uh, it'll come to us here as we start to uh, wrap this up. Okay. So next week uh, we have the package. Well, what's that about? All right. So next week we have, we have the package, which is, uh, you know, Lane is a difficult patient. No doctor wants to see her. Yes. Uh, and Kramer becomes Dr. Von Nostrand. Uh, we got Newman involved. The fun times had by all. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's coming up uh, next week. Of course. Uh, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre who edits the Seinfeld post show recap. What's going up on 32 fans. Are you, uh, so are, are you uh, still pumped up with this NFL season or have the jets just, uh, are, are you uh, reinvigorated by? Bryce no, Penny? I'm not reinvigorated, but Chester is, he thinks the Vikings are winning the Super Bowl again. Now they won, they beat the Jaguars after like a six game losing streak and he's mm-hmm. back in. He's back in. All right, Keith, what do you think of uh, dancing with the podcasters as the hashtag? I like it. Right, write in your fan fiction of who's going to win a fake season of dancing Dude. with the podcaster. It'd be very fun. All right. Uh, again, thanks so much to Mike Moore, who writes the episode recaps as well on posterrecaps.com for the Seinfeld Recap Podcast. Uh, Keith, anything else before we sign off? No, just, you know, two bad seeds of podcasting out there every week. <laughs> 42 yeah. weeks to go. All right, coming in 2017, uh, the finale of the Seinfeld post show. We have a date. Did I tell you the date of the Seinfeld finale? No, what is it? Well, it depends on what we do with that. Uh, the the you know not whatever it's called the clip show. I think it's literally called the clip show. Yeah. Uh, but because last time we talked about highlights of 100, so if we if that's its own week, then it's September 20th as the finale, and if that's not, it's September 13th. Okay. All right. Wow. Right in right in uh, time for September sweeps. Yeah, well, there are no September sweeps. There but, uh, are in podcasts. In podcast, that's right. Yeah. In TV, it's November and February, but yeah, uh, yeah. For us, it's September, and uh, okay. yeah, I guess that's prime podcast time. You don't want you don't want to end in the summer, right? In August, yeah. no one's listening. Everyone's at right. the beach. The Jets will already be zero one. <laughs> September thirteenth, so uh, ten months from today. Oh, that's right. Um, and uh, Mike Glennon will be the Jets quarterback. Yes. Yeah. Only so we only have ten more months of this nonsense. You, you'll have Let's more. Save for every second. Yeah. Yeah, I will. Amazing. Hopefully, I think I'll have more kids. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe you. It's ten months. You could have more kids. Yeah, one month from today, uh, I could conceive another kid that could be born on the finale of the Seinfeld Post Show recap. Oh yeah, maybe wait. I don't want to like because I won't. I probably won't miss any time. Yeah, no, I'll podcast in the delivery room like like Chester, like Chester did. Yeah, like because I miss. I think for my last kid, I missed like an hour and a half of work, or I think I actually missed zero work. I don't think. <laughs> I'm not sure if I missed any work last time. Yeah. Uh, for kid number three. So, so yeah, um, I'll, I'll be here. My wife might be in the hospital. But I'll be here. <laughs> All right. Looking forward to next week. Take care, everybody. Bye.